Warning, the following podcast contains naughty words and opinions. While neither of these things are hazardous, you should be aware that the exposure to both has been shown to cause chafing. Proceed at your own risk. Take hourly only. Welcome to a side episode of Cinema Slop, the podcast where we do whatever the fuck we want, whenever the fuck we want, with no relationship to our other pork products. The only thing in common with the main Cinema Slop episodes is that these episodes also contain profanity and spoilers. This time, Savage Beach with special guest Chris. Now, I just want to add one personal note uh, before we actually get into the episode. Chris and I, we recorded this episode at about 2.30 in the morning at my apartment, and so if we sound like we're whispering to each other, it's kind of because we are. So yeah, anyway, enjoy the unusually hushed tones of Cinema Slop. We're here with uh, a special guest this week. His name is Chris, and he's a very good friend of mine, very funny fellow. I don't know, Chris, do you have any particular skills? Do you have any anything that you want to pimp while you're here? I mean, why, why are you here? Justify your existence. I've been trying to do that for the last few weeks, really, and I'm uh, coming up blank. But just generally being in California is a nice experience. Being here without having to pay for a hotel is even better. So thank you, John, for your nice amenities. Well, you know, he acts like I'm letting him stay for free. I'm making him record this podcast, so... I know, I know. I was chained to the desk. So, Chris, what'd we do tonight? Tonight, we watched the classic movie, Savage Beach. Regale our audience with how we got here. And I would say go all the way back to the beginning when we weren't going to watch Savage Beach. Okay, oh, all the way from the beginning. This evening, we were going to watch Psycho 1998. Then we decided that we would rather see a different type of movie, let's say. <laughs> I think I think that we classified it as anything else. Yes, that's, that's a safe way of putting it. Andy Sedaricus came up. I, I believe you have a collection I think I sarcastically said, why don't we just watch something with boobs and explosions? And then it dawned on me that I actually own a collection of films that is basically named Boobs and Explosions, the collection of films. We also have a history, you and I, of watching these sorts of terrible movies together. And this is kind of what you would expect when we get together. So we have a history of bad decisions. Very bad decisions. All right, Chris, we don't need to do like a full breakdown, but... I think it would help our audience if you just explained your understanding of the movie that we just watched. Just give us like the the quick hits on uh, on what this is about. From my understanding, four topless DEA agents based out of Hawaii had to rescue some kids, and then two of them became irrelevant. Two two of the kids or two of the DEA agents. Two of the DEA agents. The kids are entirely irrelevant, as they usually are. Usually in movies. This led us to an island with secret Filipino gold that was being used by Cuban Marxists who pretended to be Filipino. Yeah, we're really going into the weeds here. (laughs) I can't even disagree with anything you've said. Uh, I don't want to go through the plot because I think you've basically pointed out it makes no fucking sense. Oh, none at all. At one point, there were five parties involved in seeking out the gold keeping track of that in a tits and explosions movie is not 
going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those movies where they were trying to make up for the lack of explosions with extra boobs and extra plot. I know what we'll do. We'll just exposition ourselves into a corner and then exposition ourselves out of it all in one scene just to do it. I'd also like to point out when you say lack of explosions, we had a buildup to a device that is supposed to provide a huge explosion, which turned out to just be, I'd assume, a prop guy firing a a fire extinguisher. (laughs) And actually, I mean, now that you mention it, I think that scene with the buildup was actually one of your your favorite scenes. The scene where they're outfitted by the Bosley character, sort of the Charlie's Angels. uh... (laughs) This scene involves the new manager of our four topless DEA agents arriving at the headquarters to provide them with the supplies for an upcoming mission. Yeah, the headquarters appears to be disguised, I'm going to charitably say, disguised as a tourist helicopter. Uh, You know, like it it actually says like helicopter tours on the side of it. Yes, it does. Was filmed on location, though. (laughs) That was made very clear. Unabashedly filmed on location. (laughs) The scene essentially involved two to three minutes of sexual innuendo and little else. I don't recall any dialogue in this entire scene that was not a sexual innuendo. I question whether the last line, when he's discussing the explosive-tipped arrow, the agent says, you fire it, in three seconds it explodes. It would seem to me that he would not be wanting to provide his own performance as that. So that part might not be sexual innuendo. Well, I think the writers thought a premature ejaculation joke was just about right. For uh, That is entirely possible. I'll play the female agent and you play uh, the outfitting guy. Whatever Supervisor man. Yeah. yeah. I brought a really large gun. Do you think that... It's a pleaser. This sort of gun goes off well. I'm not very good at writing sexual (laughs) innuendo dialogue. Well, it's not the size of the gun that matters, but the performance. Yeah, it goes off in three seconds. But can you have it go off more than once? (laughs) There was a point where it was mentioned that a crossbow bolt was a one-shot-only weapon, which was news to me. I thought that a crossbow bolt once shot would then return to the user of the crossbow to be used again. Learn something new. Well, you're you're thinking of a boomerang and also something that doesn't explode, but... An explosive boomerang? Now, that would be... That's what our DEA agents really needed. Yeah, I mean, that and a push-up bra. I don't think they needed the push-up bra because the doctor did a good job. He really did. There's some fine German engineering at work. I would like to mention, in the beginning, we have the unrelated scene, the build-in scene. Mm -hmm. And it involves a shipyard specifically for pineapples. Right, so this is like a like a James Bond style cold open where the DEA agents are raiding the pineapple shipping factory or whatever you want to call it. I question whether any such facility in the world actually exists. A, a, a facility where the sole purpose is to load pineapples onto cargo ships. You're just questioning whether or not there's a dedicated facility for pineapples. For pineapples directly, I would imagine that you'd want other products like bananas or mm-hmm. cantaloupes or whatever other tropical fruit might. Perhaps a coconut. Yeah, a coconut would be good. 
What, what I really liked about this scene is that it really set the tone for the movie because it opens with two of the DEA agents approaching the uh, factory dressed as floozies and uh, attempting to seduce two of the workers. And then while they're canoodling just off screen, the other two DEA agents, see, now you have to have four. That's, that's the key point here. They infiltrate the facility and they find cocaine stashed inside of the pineapples. Now, Chris and I spent a quite a bit of time pausing the movie, debating whether or not they were planting the cocaine inside of the pineapples or if they were finding it. But we eventually settled on them finding it because just it was too outlandish that they would break into stash cocaine inside of pineapple. And the reaction of the, the pineapple shipping facility manager to go straight for a shotgun kind of indicates guilt. Maybe he's had problems with the DEA before. You know? <laughs> he's, he's like, no, I know you're here to, you're here to fuck with my pineapples. Leave, Absolutely. No. Leave the produce alone, goddammit. We did have an opening shot, the, the credit sequence. With one individual practicing Bushido. Yeah, it was it was fun. You, I mean, I guess lucky for us that does sort of get answered, but not for a solid hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, that one was not really a mood setter in any way whatsoever. I mean, the only thing that seemed pertinent to the rest of the film until an hour and 15 minutes later was that there is a sun and it sets. <laughs> I'm trying to find the first moment where the real plot really starts. I think it was at least 35 minutes of characters being introduced, sabotaging each other, short-circuiting one another, and getting into position before finally they're in the the uh, the military base. And it's revealed that the military is trying to determine the location of a sunken Japanese gold treasure from World War II. They do this by the improper use of a five and a half inch floppy disk. They, they actually insert it sideways at one point. I didn't even think that was possible. I thought you would literally destroy the disc if you did it but i saw it happen with my own eyes i'm a believer now i guess in 2018 we now believe that floppy disks can be inserted <laughs> sideways <laughs> really i i'm i'm impressed by the level of complexity that the writers went to regular kind of movie like this does not involve five parties independently searching for the buried treasure having to follow the plot like that if you're paying attention to the movie anyway. Most movies would have just, I think, introduced the characters, had them meet up at a diner and spend 25 minutes like getting ready for the mission and like breaking characters off to have like one-on-one -on -one conversations. This one though instead previews the movie with a James Bond cold open, gives you a completely unnecessary motorcycle chase scene, it gives you two or three characters that just get straight murdered before the action really takes off. It gives you a submarine at the end that you don't even get to see, and then they decide not to use. But that's the kind of movie it is. We're just going to introduce complexities for the sake of it. I don't know, hope that it's so late that you don't notice. <laughs> I mean, was there anything you wanted to cover? The, the two and a half minute sexual innuendo conversation definitely stands out. I didn't think such a thing was possible. And if it was possible, I didn't think anybody would actually do it after, like, the seventh grade. The actors, they maintained the tone of, huh? Huh? And you can only raise your voice so many times when you do that, but they, they did it every time. Every single time. Yeah, it was amazing. 
you know, good for them. They got to hook up at the end of the movie. You know, there there was a payoff to all of that sexual tension that was payoff. Sure. <laughs> Would also like to mention that the two de- topless DEA agents who ended up mattering, having crash landed on an island, decide that the best way to spend their time is to toplessly jump around in the ocean. Well, don't forget that this is after, in the middle of a storm, they engaged autopilot to toplessly change their tops. This is true. This is true. But I feel like that was an important moment for the plot, because it really establishes they make poor decisions and like to be topless. They're loose cannons that can't be bothered with the clothing regulations. (laughs) On my list of favorite things in the movie, it's probably Al Al Leung. If you're a fan of action movies, you know this guy. He's the Asian baddie who's in every single movie from 1970 to 1995. He has sort of a handlebar mustache. He's bald on top, and he has really long, wispy hair. And uh, he's just, he's always great. And then there's a soldier from World War II that's been stranded on the Savage Beach for about 50 years. Because he's really like a 24-year-old dude who's really fit. It just looks like there's about an inch and a half of glue. I mean, I don't know about you, but Chris, when you were a little kid, did you ever put glue in your hands and just let it dry and then peel it off? Oh, absolutely not. That seems like a terrible idea. Oh, well. I did the same thing with some of the shipping container material, though. Oh, okay, yeah. So I I think I know what you're talking about. On skin, it doesn't bind at all, so it just makes like a mold of your fingerprints. So it it just, it flakes off almost like a... I don't know, almost like uh, like if you pick up like a pastry that flakes, you know. So do you feel like if we had this this movie in Blu-ray, we, would, we just watched it in DVD. If we had it in Blu-ray and that quality, could you zoom into that man's face and identify the fingerprint of the makeup artist who put that on? I think that we could we could figure out who they were, and if they paid their taxes for the in- for the income earned on this production. I think this is a project. Let's <laughs> let's restore this film and take take fingerprints off of that actor's face. There was a second character who was aged with glue as well. Not quite as much, though, oddly, even though he was supposed to be older. Although he died of cancer mm-hmm. in the movie, and I think it was due to glue application. He was he he OG'd over glued. <laughs> they they just sealed up some of the important holes that he normally used for breathing. <laughs> there are certain things that I can't forgive. There are several scenes where the two topless DE agents who matter are flying through a storm and the storm is a giant blue sky. That one was a little difficult. They eventually land, and they immediately got a uh, windshield walk from a guy holding a hose, yeah. I think. yeah. The storm effects were pretty special. I wasn't mad at the, the rain and the, the blue sky storm because every time they cut to the exterior of the plane, it was a uh, clearly a model on a fishing line. So <laughs> that just made me like those things. I guess you have to expect such a thing on, on the budget they probably had, but... At least shoot the damn thing at night. <laughs> you can't expect them to like wait until after 8 p.m. Come on. <laughs> I don't think they would have had the lights then. <laughs> Otherwise, you, as a viewer, are sitting on a sofa for an hour and a half, and you receive guns, boobs, and explosions, which there's nothing wrong with that. You also get 
a very convoluted plot, which I actually enjoyed having to think through the movie while it was happening. I did not expect it to be that difficult or complex. What did you think, Joe? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll concur with you there. I think some of the most fun that I had with it was just trying to decipher what was going on with you when we had to pause it every now and then to like be like, all right, so let's count characters again and count allegiances. And then at the end, there was still the one guy who we were like, but that guy's a murderer. And then he's like, surprise, I'm a DEA agent, you know, or CIA or whatever he was. It was kind of sleazy, but like it was basically inoffensively sleazy. There was a lot of unnecessary nudity and explosions and some decent action it wasn't horrible to any of the people like i didn't feel dirty watching it you know like yeah it managed to handle race well too like aside from the cuban filipino named was it hernandez or it was something like that it was definitely not a filipino name yeah yeah but i i feel like there wasn't the standard race issue that you get with movies from that age. Oh, yeah. Like, nobody was just randomly throwing out racial slurs for no reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can appreciate that. It was it was a fun little romp, and then they added some extra boobs for, you know, good measure. So, I'm a fan. <laughs> so, could you explain why we chose this particular... Oh, well, this... <laughs> This, this particular movie, we uh, we had two uh, that we were looking at, and uh, this one had a sequel that was made 11 years after. Chris, he just couldn't resist finding out what the cult that clamored for the return to Savage Beach had been clamoring for more of. He needed to know the answer to the mystery of, why would you go back to Savage Beach? And really, there's no more gold there. That was the main plot point. I don't think we've even mentioned that to this point. I mean, it didn't matter. No, it didn't matter at all. There's no gold, and as far as we know, everybody there is dead or gone. Mm-hmm. So I am I'm very intrigued why they there was a Savage Beach too. I might check on this later. I got the impression there was one line of dialogue earlier where they were like, "Oh, he always does that." And I don't know who he was, and I don't know it, it sounded like it was something we were supposed to appreciate. So I kind of think that maybe this was a sequel to something else. <laughs> We might have stumbled into the middle of the series in Order of the Phoenix. Right. And just found ourselves in a quandary. <laughs> well, either way, I appreciate you going on this journey with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Overall, what's your what's your rating? I think the, the best way to describe the, the system that we normally use is just simply up or down. <laughs> um, this is definitely not a, a movie you would watch with uh, your family or anything like that. I'm going to go up, though, just because, to me, the effort that you put in to make a movie of this nature, that deserves an up. So you you give it up as a consolation prize. There are certain genres of movies, like you don't take your two-year-old to see a horror movie in a theater. There are places for every movie to be seen. This is just for lonely single men and up and their compatriots who also give it an up for all of its faults it's bizarrely charming and uh i think that the movie's basically skating by on that it's enough for me the fact that it spawned a sequel 11 years later alone makes me want to believe that there's some secret cult following that i'm unaware of for savage beach and that deserves an up 
those people deserve an up. All right. Well, if you're a member of the Savage Beach Illuminati, reach out to us on uh, Facebook or Twitter and, uh, you know, let us know how that secret society is going. If you have any uh, any requests for uh, side slop episodes, just uh, give us a holler, too. We have no real structure or plan for these. So just if you think we, we should check something out, let us know. Always a big fan of not having to pick things. So, yeah, that's it this uh, time for Cinema Slop. Thanks for listening. We love you. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of Cinema Slop. You can visit us on the web at cinemaslop.com for show notes and other garbage. Or if you want to follow us on social media or pitch your Walter Chang's inventory choices to us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all under Cinema Slop. Thanks for listening. The music for this episode was provided by Vandalay. You can find them on the Facebooks at Vandalay Music or vandalaymusic.com. That's V-A-N-D-A-L-A-Y music.com. And if you want to hear assholes talk about different movies than the ones we talked about here, then go and check out our friends Mac and Peter at Super Movie Ball. Find them at supermovieball.com and iTunes. And other podcast sources that I haven't bothered verifying for you yet.